We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hi, this is Malayan Verveer. And this is Kim Azzarelli. We are co-authors of the book, Fast Forward, How Women Can Achieve Power and Purpose. And you're listening to Seneca Women, Conversations on Power and Purpose, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Women are at the epicenter of a major health crisis, Alzheimer's disease. You may be surprised, as I was, to learn that two out of three new Alzheimer's patients are women. And women bear a double burden comprising more than 60% of Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers. Yet the outsized impact of Alzheimer's and other neurological diseases on women remains underexamined, and women scientists continue to be underrepresented and underfunded. Putting a women's lens on this disease is essential if we want to improve the lives of both women and men. I sat down at the Metropolitan Museum of Art with Dr. Jane Salmon of Weill Cornell and Dr. Fanny Elahi of the UCSF Memory and Aging Center. These two scientists are working tirelessly to make huge breakthroughs in women's health. Listen to our conversation to learn why adding more women to medical research is urgent for everyone, what's at stake if we don't, and the empirical reason why you just might want your next doctor to be a woman. And stick around after the conversation for our top takeaways. So I want to welcome uh, Dr. Jane Solomon. Associate Dean at Weill Cornell and Professor of Medicine. You're going to hear why we're so honored to have her today. And of course, Dr. Fanny Elahi, MD, PhD, and Assistant Professor at UCSF. Thank you both for being here. So we've heard a lot today about women in tech and girls in tech, and uh, we thought it was really important to talk to women scientists who have been at the forefront and are at the forefront of solving some of the most important issues for women's health. So, Jane, let's start with you. Uh, tell us a little about your work in lupus and how and what you discovered about lupus in pregnancy. Lupus is a disease where the immune system, which really evolved to protect us against microbes, turns against the body and attacks organs. 
and 90% of patients with lupus are women, and most women develop disease in their 20s. These girls or young women were told never to become pregnant because they or their babies could die. And that guidance was really based on limited information. So I spent a good deal of my career trying to determine whether or not this was true for all lupus patients. My team studied hundreds of women with lupus, and what we learned was that pregnancy complications, severe ones in patients, are extremely uncommon, and we could identify the limited subset of patients who would have these complications. We also discovered the biology around pregnancy complications in lupus, and we're now having a promising treatment trial funded by the NIH to see if we can protect these women from complications. And what's particularly interesting is the possibility that what we're going to learn from this trial applies to all women, not just women with lupus. There are very, there are no treatments for preeclampsia, toxemia of pregnancy, but we may be able to develop a treatment. Kind of the cost of morbidity in pregnancy is expensive to the society and to the family. And there's very little research on diseases of pregnancy, and that's really what I've committed my career to, and hopefully we'll be able to change it. Thank you. Now, Fanny, we saw these incredible statistics about um, women in Alzheimer's, and I've been very taken by the numbers. Um, so can you tell us, uh, well, obviously, you studied the conditions that could lead to a cure for Alzheimer's, and I'm amazed by your research. Why is this also a women's issue? And given your experience, why is it important to look at health through the lens of women, and in particular, women scientists? Thank you, Kim. I think the statistics are really striking. It's um, Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disorders are a humanities issue, and especially women's issue. And numbers don't lie, and they're surprising. And so I really think that we have to get at the root causes. And what we will discover uh, relating to women's risk of increased risk of Alzheimer's could potentially actually translate to all sorts of Alzheimer's. So the first step is to have a precision medicine approach to understand what it is about a human being that predisposes them to neurodegeneration. What are the specific factors as opposed to just blanket age or gender, sex, ethnicity, And so we're working on biomarkers. You know, we're looking at people's retina. We're looking at their brain structures. We're taking blood and looking at proteins and RNA, different molecules in their blood to, to have a more, to stop guessing and to have a more precise idea of risk um, and, and, and the history um, of, of change in a human being that then predisposes them. One of, one of the facts um, is that Alzheimer's really starts decades before it actually presents in the clinic. And if we stand a chance, it ought to be early. And so we need to intervene early and we need to detect early in order to intervene early. I was taken um, by um, some of the research when what you told me about sort of hormones and this sort of failure to look at the disease through the lens of women and this, when the st- statistics are staggering. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Um, so as a clinician scientist, I do science and I also see patients. And I think the scientist in me is driven by data and the clinician has given me the privilege to observe and to interact with women 
Um, so one of the most striking um, occurrences has been seeing perimenopausal women walk into my clinic and report cognitive changes that have been dismissed by so many other clinicians before me. And maybe the first time I thought, you know, maybe this is subjective. The second time, it's harder to think that the third and the fourth. And And the problem is that our tests are not sensitive enough to detect those changes. And so there are no objective measures to say that you're at risk. We just have to go and believe them and then set up experiments and test these hypotheses. So that's what I want to do in the future and really dig into these early, quote-unquote, subjective changes that women are reporting and try to find objective ways to measure these in a sensitive manner. Uh, Jane, you know, one of the statistics that I had read, which I... I, uh found was amazing. Maybe some of you read it in the New York Times recently. It says that actually patients there, I think they studied, uh, is it 58,000? 58,000? 58,000 patients in emergency rooms. And they found that patients who were seen by women doctors actually had uh, better survival rates. You know, this is a reason to really poor women in science, just for a selfish reason. But Jane, can we talk about this? Because you are the highest ranking, one of the highest ranking scientists, frankly, at Weill Cornell. You've been a true leader in this field. I was really taken when we first met about how you made the business case for your research. And similar to what Fanny was just saying about how she's trying to make the case right now for more funding, because we know that women in Alzheimer's are chronically underfunded. Women's health is chronically underfunded. You've been a true leader in this field. You have been able to make that case. um, And you've also been able to support other women scientists. But yet we're still facing this chronic gap in the senior ranks of the scientific community. And why is that? And, and what are you seeing? You know, I think women see medicine differently. You heard that from Fanny. Women ask questions differently. They analyze data differently. And they ask different questions. In the 1980s, the only mention of women's heart disease in a major society meeting of cardiologists was how to deal with your husband's heart attack. Uh, we, we, we've become... Uh, we, we've come really a long way. 1980s. Yeah. So, so, so I think you know we've come a long way, but um, we have a a long way to go. Uh, when I was a medical student, there were very few women. There were almost no women faculty, um, and I was introduced to a, pa- a. I took care of a ten-year-old boy, and I was introduced to his mother as the doctor who's a nurse, uh, and I don't think that was rare. Uh, in those days, and I think we, we, we still see I think see Fanny that. mentioned it still happens. We still see that sometimes. And so now 50% of medical students, I'd say for the past 20 years, are women. And as of 2017, in American medical schools, 45% of the assistant professors are women. But when you start working your way up, associate professors, it's only 36%. And full professors, it's only 23%. This isn't really a pipeline issue, as you've heard before. It takes longer for women to be promoted, and they're much less likely to be put up by their chairs for promotion than men in their departments. It's an issue that academic medicine recognizes and we're trying to address, but it's really similar to what you see uh, in all fields. In order to get the right multidimensional look at basic and clinical questions, you have to have women physicians. They listen better. Then you need women mentors, women leaders to inspire other women to follow you so that 
women's diseases can be addressed and the sensitivity that Kim talked about. And people will live longer if their docs are women. I mean, is that not a simple business case? I mean... So, so Fanny, we talked about this as well, about why this uh, lens of women makes a difference, why questions haven't been raised in the past. And you mentioned to me that, you know, we probably wouldn't be lagging as far behind, maybe, if we'd asked these questions sooner. And I, I think that, y- you know, your research is showing some pretty remarkable opportunities. But what's the problem? I and mean, why are we still seeing this lag there? So I think the statistics that Jane um, mentioned with respect to women advancing their career in science and medicine are really striking. And we need to learn from other industries and get at the root causes. Why is it that that's occurring? I I feel that um, women are given opportunities, but then on a day-to-day basis, maybe the support is not there. And obviously the role models are far and fewer in between than men because it's a new, relatively new field for women. Um, And why are we lagging behind on discoveries that really specifically to women's conditions is probably also because in medicine you need curiosity and intellectual drive, but at the end of it you also need passion because it's a long road, it's difficult, there are lots of failures, and you need to have that sort of internal stimulus that constantly drives you. Um, You need to to be touched by the question. And I, I can't say that men are not touched by women's questions, but it's, prob- it's more probable that women will be. Um, mm. And so we really need, just for the sake of diversity of questions and importance of the questions that are asked, more women um, trained um, and credentialed to do that. Well, and I think, uh, again, I've spent a lot of time with these women over the last time preparing for this, and, and Jane has been a mentor to so many, and she's told us so much about what she does to mentor women, um, and what we've decided to try to do together this year is to try to focus a little bit more on women scientists. I think that women science is chronically underfunded. I've understood this now from both of them, and I think, you know, what Fanny's work is doing to really prevent this epidemic, though, if there is the possibility of a cure, if there is the possibility of ending preeclampsia or getting more re- research about this, We need to do it, but it's underfunded. So I would ask all of you, again, on this connect point concept, to go home, to think about your institutions, your organizations, the foundations you're involved with, and let's see if we can't get some of this science funded. Thank you both. Stay tuned for our takeaways after this break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That was truly an enlightening conversation. So many families are touched by Alzheimer's, and I was amazed to learn from Dr. Alahi that just like breast cancer, early detection is within reach and could save lives if women scientists and their research could just get the support they need. To learn more about Dr. Alahi's work at the UCSF Memory and Aging Center and how to support the Women in Alzheimer's Research Fund, go to SenecaWomen.com. And to learn about Dr. Jane Salmon's work on lupus, go to wild.cornell.edu. Our top takeaways? First, when it comes to medical conditions, we need to recognize that women's biology matters too. Women may have different symptoms, different reactions to medication, and different responses to treatment than men do. We need to ensure that the medical community acknowledges these differences so that women are properly diagnosed and treated. Second, it's time to demand that women are equally represented in clinical trials and that researchers take into account sex and gender differences We'll know more about human health when women's health and disease risk are better understood. Finally, it's imperative that more funding and support flow to women scientists and clinicians. A women's lens matters. When you have diverse scientists, you get more innovation, as well as studies with a broader perspective and a more thorough understanding of patients. By failing to support women scientists, we are literally holding back innovation and the chance to find cures for disease and improve health for everyone. For me, Supporting women scientists may be one of the most important steps we can take right now in advancing women and improving lives. Let's each try to spread the word and make a contribution in any way we can. Together, we can do this. You're listening to Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio, with support from founding partner P&G. Listen to Seneca Women Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please support this podcast by telling your friends, subscribing, and rating us. For more information on Seneca Women, follow us on social media, visit our website, SenecaWomen.com, and check out the Seneca Women app, free in the App Store. Have a great day.